Hey everyone, we appreciate you listening. We'll get into the show in a bit, but just want to mention, go check out our Twitter page, at Midcourt Madness, for all of our show updates, as well as some breaking news tweets. Also, check out our website, where we post all of our writing at midcourtmadness.wordpress.com. Here's the show. On today's Midcourt Madness, we have a couple big matchups to recap, as UCLA and Gonzaga both get top five wins. Ohio State survives their second straight upset bid, and Florida versus Florida State is currently going on and, and is somewhat of a close game. So, I don't know, maybe some live reactions to show, Biggs? Ooh, maybe. Let's get into it. All right, Biggs, let's start from the big matchup from Friday night, and that was UCLA over Villanova. And we got some we got some free basketball, Biggs, as this game went into overtime. I I was running on fumes at the end of this game. I was going to say, were you, were you upset about the free basketball? Because, I mean, that we ran into about 1 o'clock at night with that game. That game ran late. Yeah, like, I, honestly, I would have rather had it, you know, end in regulation so that I could have gone to bed a little bit earlier. And... You know, yeah, I am disappointed because if you're going to make me stay up later, at least not have it be a nine point victory. At least have it be like a buzzer beater or something. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. But hey, I mean, it's better that it was on a Friday than like, I mean, imagine if that was like a Tuesday or something. Like if that were if I had to go to school the next day, I'd have been dragging ass. I would be too, for sure. And so this game was pretty close throughout. And, you know, it's sort of we've talked about this with Villanova and it's going to be the same sort of story here where they don't go to their bench a whole lot. They have, you know, five guys who are starting and then one or two guys coming off the bench. And I'm looking at the box score here. They had Caleb Daniels coming off the bench who played 24 minutes. Their next highest minutes played was uh, Archer Diakono with six. Yeah, I, I just think their depth isn't... Jay Wright's never been a guy that plays eight, nine guys. He, he wants to keep that rotation pretty tight. Um, it is a little bit... It's the second game of the season, and we're if we're going to overreact, I guess the overreaction to that point would be, isn't this the time that you want to try to get some of those young guys' minutes because it's a non-conference game? Yeah. Uh, I know you probably want to pick up a win there, but you know it's early in the year. Like get get those guys some minutes, just just even four, five, six minutes a game for for some of those freshmen or something. Um, now they will have. Who's the Who's the kid who's injured? Who we hope is going to come back for them? Uh, Bri- Brian Antoine. Brian Antoine. Antoine. So, so that that'll definitely provide them with some more depth, and, and that could give them some juice. I mean, I the big takeaway for me, I came away from that Villanova game looking at Nova. And when did they become Virginia? Just slow, slow and steady. They're so slow. They play so <laughs> slow. Do they have a kid? I mean, they have some good guards. Do they have a guy though that makes easy like gets easy shots? Every no. single thing for them, it felt like they just so grinding. It was like a it reminded me of like when you play like NBA Live or 2K and you don't know how to like master all like the sweet dribble moves to like get by someone. So you just kind of end up like just kind of backing your way into the into the lane and eventually you get close enough that you just are able to shoot over the computer. <laughs> like that's that's what it felt like with Nova. Every single player was just they would just dribble through, they'd go into them, they'd go into them, and, and then they would like find their way to kind of angle their way around for a shot and they either made it or they didn't. But like Nobody got by anybody. Like I don't remember seeing really any open shots. Yeah, and typically, like their championship team, you know, you think of guys like Josh Hart or Jalen Brunson who can actually take over a game. Uh, Jeremiah yeah. Robinson, Earl, a year ago, could take over a game. 
they don't really have I mean, maybe Justin Moore. He his first game this year is very good, so maybe he would be their takeover game guy. But outside of that, they don't really have that guy. No, I, I think Moore is probably the closest thing to it. But I mean, against UCLA, I mean UCLA's got got guys who can who can stay in front of him and make life difficult. He was in foul trouble a a, a big chunk of the game. No, I, I was impressed with Villanova's like. I came away simultaneously impressed with the Villanova I see and also a little dismayed with the idea that like, I don't, the, they were, they execute really well and they only had like what, five or six turnover. Their turnover number was, was really low. Seven. And for, for an early in the season kind of matchup like that, that's where you think maybe you're going to have some turnovers because maybe the continuity's not there. They seem super connected and they didn't have a lot of turnovers. And I came away thinking like, is there more to this team though? Like what, how much better can they get in the next three, four months? Like I'm a little worried that Villanova is just going to be really solid, but there's like a really hard ceiling on them. I don't know. Yeah. And you know, they came, they obviously come away with a loss against the number two UCLA and for UCLA, you know, they're led by Johnny Juzang who had 25 points, but a very inefficient 25 points. You know, it took him 24 shots to get there. He's only one of eight from three point land. So that's something to, you know, keep an eye on a little bit. You know, he was a big part of the reason for their tournament run a year ago. So if he's not shooting the way he did then, you know, you know, be on the lookout for them to maybe suffer some upsets here. Um, I'd say probably their, their most important player on Friday was Hawkes, your boy Hawkes. And it's going to be interesting to see if he could almost, if he becomes more of an efficient player, you almost have to put him as sort of their lead guy, right? I I really think Hakez is their best player. I know Juzang got a ton of pub last year kind of with his shot making. I think Hakez does so much more for them though in terms of he plays better, he's a better defender, he's a beast in the in, in the on the glass. Like he's a terrific rebounder. He he creates shots for other guys. He's not the pure scorer that Juzang is just cuz he doesn't shoot as much. I I I think Juzang in this like star driven, like kind of basketball culture we live in where we need like an individual to like be obsessed with. I guess Juzang is just a little more maybe like marketable, but maybe. I, I, I think Hawkes has always been the better slash more important player. I mean, there's something to be said about a guy who can just go get you a bucket, you know, like that whole freak. Yeah, we need, we need to go get buckets, you know, and Juzang can do that. But yeah, he gets 25, but it took him 24 shots to do it. I, I like Hawkeyes. I, I think this UCLA team is a whole lot more than Johnny Juzang. I mean, Juzang's a good player, and he was awesome during their tournament run. No, no, don't get me wrong. I think he's just like a, a talented piece, though. They've got a bunch of really good pieces. We saw, I mean, Peyton Watson, he barely played, and, and yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that's a thing most of the year. I just don't think the with the, the combination of, A, I don't think Cronin is the coach that is going to give freshmen a bunch of rope to go make mistakes – you know, and I also don't think he cares about like, uh, oh, you're you're a projected lottery pick. Like, oh, okay, so I guess I'm gonna play. I don't think he cares about that kind of thing. Right. And they've got guys that it's not like they they don't have better options. They've got guys who can play. Like, it's not like, hey, the freshman can go play because well, we don't have anything better. Well, they have better. They have a ton of they have a ton of depth too. You know, and I think there's there's more to there's more. They got more than six or seven guys, and even the Cody Riley injury, I. I just don't think that hurts them very much because Miles Johnson is perfectly capable of playing 30 minutes a game in a pinch. And yep. I came away more impressed with UCLA last night or on Friday night than uh, maybe that's the combination. I guess Villanova is a good team, maybe not a great team. I think UCLA has the chance to be 
maybe they do have a chance to live up to kind of that hype. Yeah, they could be. And just a couple other guys from them, Tiger Campbell and Jules Bernard, both in double figures. Miles Johnson, this is interesting. So he obviously is filling in for Cody Riley at the moment and getting more minutes. Played 36 minutes. Do you know how many shot, shot attempts he had? Couldn't have been more than like three or four. One. One shot. Yeah, that, that's what they want, though. I mean, when, when Juzang takes 25, you know, and Hawkes is going to shoot, Jules Bernard, he he certainly isn't shy about shooting. Um, and Miles Johnson's, like, perfect in that role. You know, what a what a like perfect he, role for a guy like that who can just set picks. If he if he takes more than five or six, six shots, they're basically off of, like, offensive rebounds or just dump-offs. Like, that's perfect. He And he still only had five rebounds. That's the stat that really gets me. He's this massive dude inside, the biggest guy on floor for UCLA by far, and he had five rebounds. You know, that you say that, and, and I guess that, that is kind of surprising because you look at him, and he's, he's 6'11 or whatever, but Hawkins probably had about a dozen or 14 or 15. Yeah, 15, yeah. I think to myself, you know, I, I had something like this with my own my own high school team. I played with another big guy my junior year who who was big and, like, strong, and he was, like, a big offensive lineman type guy. And he didn't – he averaged probably, like, four or five rebounds. Uh, I averaged, like, 11 because he did all the boxing out. So I could just go hunt the ball. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then my senior year, I had to do more actually blocking out so other guys get the – so it's kind of a team rebounding kind of thing. And, and I could see Miles Johnson – I wasn't, I, don't get me wrong, I wasn't like locked in on watching Miles Johnson block everybody out, but I wouldn't be surprised if maybe the rebounding numbers don't look as robust for him because some of those other guys can go pursue misses. You're telling me you don't solely watch people box others out? No, I, I'm sorry. I'm gonna have, I'm, oh. I'm only so committed to the bit. I like watching charges. I like the extra pass. I like good footwork. Uh, I like blocking out, don't get me wrong, but I'm not watching for it. I was just watching. They could not block out Colin Castleton just now. He's been a beast. Yeah. That's that's maybe the takeaway from this one is that Colin Castleton had. Oh, you're a little bit ahead of me. He's a monster. He had a terrific game today. Yeah, game's over over for me right now. And Florida wins by 16. We'll get that get to that game later. Um, we talked about that Oregon SMU game on Friday, leading up to it, and it was not not close. Oregon yeah. took it to SMU. Wah, wah, wah. And, yeah. And, you know, balanced scoring attack for Oregon. They have they had three guys all have like 18 or 19 points. And, you know, that's sort of how I think it's going to be how it is for all year. And I looked at their stats through two games, and, you know, obviously it's small sample size, but they have five guys averaging double figures, and that's always a good thing to have. So I think it's going to be, you know, three out of those five guys are going to have at least like 15 points every game for them. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, they had that kind of last year. I think all five of their starters averaged double figures. They didn't get a ton of production from like their bench, but I wouldn't be surprised if they have if they have five or six guys. I mean, you've got you got Will Richardson, who who I think is maybe the Pac-12 Player of the Year, you know, front runner. I mean, Juzang, I guess is the front runner, but I wouldn't be surprised if Will Richardson is the guy for this Oregon team. But you've got Eric Williams, you've got Davion Harmon, you got Quincy Garrier, and uh, who's the, uh, Jacob Young. So all five of those guys have averaged double figures before. I wouldn't be surprised if all five of them are in like the 10 to 10 to 17 point a game range. Mm-hmm. And then you've got three or four, like all their big guys are probably going to average like four or five because they're going to do Miles Johnson type stuff where they take like maybe five shots a game or less. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. And then for SMU, they just couldn't really keep it close at all. You know, they, they're down 15 at halftime. They shot under 40% for the game from both three and from field goal range. And 
yeah, Oregon's good. That's all I have for this game, really. I didn't really watch this game. Did you watch it much? Well, no, it's on the Pac-12 network, so nobody watched the game. All, we just have to basically take the box score at its word. Bad night for my guy Kendrick Davis. He he had a struggle with those Oregon guards. I still think SMU is going to be, like, fine. You got to think – I was thinking about this. Friday night, right, the game starts at, at 10.30 our time, the Villanova game. So the Oregon-SMU yep. game started at 10 o'clock. That's our yep. time, okay? I don't know where SMU is, but I'm thinking – Philadelphia or Villanova. It's, it's in Texas, I think. SMU's in Texas. SMU's in Texas. Yep, it's right outside Dallas. So I'm assuming that's Central Time. They're starting a basketball game at 10 p.m. Central. T- for these guys, their body clock. Yeah. 10 o'clock at night. That's tough. I know. Yeah. I know. I know. Like college kids. Like I, I was. You know, I could do a lot more at 10 o'clock at night when I was 21 than I can now. But still, a basketball game at 10 o'clock at night. That that can't be easy on the body clock. You know, Villanova. Well, they're an hour ahead. Villanova was playing at like two in the morning basically on Friday. And then, you know, these guys are probably sitting there thinking like, oh, this is my normal time for video games. And I would almost rather be doing that right now. So it's in their heads and they're not going to play as well. Yeah, like I should be pwning noobs, not like trying to set picks and like get rebounds. That's right. Yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, another game to talk about bigs is Alabama versus South Dakota State. And South Dakota State, to their credit, kept it close, especially during the first half. They're, they go into halftime just down by three. But... Alabama is not a team who you can win a shootout against. I don't think, um, you know, South Dakota state did was able to score 88 points, but we're basically outpaced by Alabama scoring 104. So, you know, 26 for Cornelia, 23 for Shackelford, uh, a couple of guys, uh, Keon Ellis and Darius miles have both, you know, increased their production. And granted again, this is through two games. I understand that small sample size. But Keon Ellis, 5.5 points per game last year, 16.5 so far this year. Darius Miles, 2 points per game last year and 12 points per game so far this year. So we talked about with them at before the season where where's their depth at? And these two are sort of providing them with some depth there. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we talked about this after their, after their first game, and I guess this will just be a running thing here for at least the short term until the depth is for sure solidified. But, I mean, if they if they – that was the thing that I was worried about with Alabama going into the years. I just don't know. I like their first five or so. And and I just don't know about their, their next handful. And, and it's not like it's a, you need 12 guys. Like you probably want in like the NBA where it's an 80 game season or something, but you definitely need more than five. And especially if two of those guys are freshmen, you don't want to rely on freshmen a lot. Right. And, and if Alabama has this kind of depth, if you can get stuff out of, you know, Keon Ellis and miles. And I think they had a couple other guys too, that stepped up. That kind of changes the calculus on how I feel about this Alabama team. I, again, I, I don't. I think they're the where they're going to go depends on how good Quinterly and Shackelford are ultimately. But if they've got the if Keon Ellis can give them kind of a presence on the wing that I didn't think they would have, that that definitely changes how I see them. Kind of how how I, how I see things shaking out. Yeah, but South Dakota State's good. I mean, yeah, they're a good team. I mean, I just I don't think there's much to take from that other than that it's I think South Dakota State's good. I think they're going to be the best team in the summit. They've been the best team in the summit for like the last five to ten years. And it's just a matter of them not choking, choking. on a choking on one in the uh, in the tournament for them because that's going to be yeah. their chance. Yep. And then just a couple other games from Friday night, sort of some uh, mid-major type games. You know, and I didn't have eyes on either one of these. If you did, you can talk about it. But Utah State beats Richmond. And then, you know, they, Justin Bean had 30 points for them. 
I must have all been in the second half because I watched I watched the first half of that and Richmond looked like they were in control. Grant Golden, the big guy for Richmond, was like doing work. He had like I think twenty in the first half. He finished the game with wow. with uh, watch. He finished the game with nineteen. No, he finished. It. <laughs> he, finished with, he had twenty four and eight, and uh, I bet you he had I think nineteen or twenty in the first half. I mean, he dominated the first half. Um, yeah, I mean Utah State Utah State outscored Richmond forty eight thirty one in the second half. So they they went to work. I, I think. That's interesting because, I mean, Richmond was a team that went into last year. A year ago, they went into the season with, with massive expectations. They were, they were very strong the year COVID hit. And so the tournament, a tournament run that they would have likely had an opportunity to have got ripped away. So they went into last year thinking like, ooh, this Richmond team's this one could be really good. And they had that win over Kentucky early in the season and then just kind of fell flat and just didn't – they weren't very good. And I think they they brought all these guys back. So that's the new team that's older than the Chicago Bulls thing. Like they've got all these fifth and sixth year guys. And so we'll see what this – we'll see where the season goes. But I would have thought this was a game that you, you want to get because Utah State is – you know, they, they lost their head coach. But I do think they'll be okay. Yep. Maybe, maybe Utah State's going to be a little more than that. I mean, Justin Bean is one of the better returning big guys in the, uh, in the Mountain West. Uh, 30 and 14, I mean, that's, that's big time. Yeah, and then like I said, BYU over San Diego State. Um, very, very Virginia. I'm just looking at the box score, but very Virginia like box score here. But neither team shoots over forty percent. Um, and then here's their three point percentages: San Diego State three for twenty two, thirty percent. BYU four for eighteen for twenty two percent. That's uh, that's not great. That's you know you add those two numbers up and you you get forty five or something. So. 35 uh, and that's that's still a bad percentage yeah that's still not that's still not a great percentage either I didn't watch a second of that game I don't even I think it was on like BYU TV which I do not have um so it's unfortunate because that's a matchup you'd want to show because I, I definitely yeah. would have watched it if it's on TV those yeah. two teams are both I think gonna be good I mean BYU I think is going to be the second best team in the in the WCC and San Diego State could very well be the best team in the in the Mountain West so yeah I guess we'll see what we'll see what to take from these early season. Sometimes these early season matchups don't really yield any sort of like it's hard to have a takeaway because you know like a team will Guys lose a game that it's just like other, what the hell yeah. happened and then they'll end up being really good and you'll look back and you know San Diego State ends up being 26 and 5 with a weird early season loss to someone it's like well, what you know these teams are just so different later on. Well, you know, it's like you talked about with uh, Villanova, how like a lot of coaches like to, you know, finagle with rotations at this time and sometimes have a bigger rotation, say 10 or 11 guys, and then midway through the year or starting off the conference play, they will uh, dwindle it down to like eight guys, you know? Yeah, you know a team that that, that that's a great segue for is uh, that Gonzaga-Texas game because I think that's what Texas needs to probably eventually do. Yeah, and Drew Timmy was a monster last night. That's probably the biggest takeaway. Drew Timmy was, I, it's the college basketball media, man, is so funny. The obsession with like prospects and ooh, he's going to be a lottery pick. And the obsession with like prospects and new is, is funny. People will say like Chet Holmgren's going to be the best player on Gonzaga. And it's like, no, he, no, he will not. He's the best prospect on Gonzaga's team. Prospect and player are two very different things. They, they'd in two different bins. Drew Timmy averaged like 19 and eight last year for a team that went undefeated until the national championship game. And I know Drew Timmy's star probably took a hit with that Baylor game where he, where he kind of stunk it up. He dominated in the elite eight against USC. USC's got a, who had a, a lottery pick in Evan Mobley. 
Um, Drew Timmy took him to school, like ate his lunch. Yep. Drew Timmy is awesome. And I think any sort of talk that that anybody else on Gonzaga is going to be a better player than than Drew Timmy this season uh, is asinine because he he's far and away their best player. He was absolutely unstoppable last night. I mean, it was just it was clinical. Yeah, thirty seven points, Biggs on nineteen shot attempts. Yeah, what do you go like sixteen and nineteen? Probably. I mean, he was just yeah, absolutely 15, insane. Fifteen and nineteen, and you know you, you talked about Chet Holmgren, and I understand you know he was in foul trouble for a lot of the game, but you know, he must musters up two points, uh, three field goal attempts. And I mean, part of that, I, I don't know what Chet Holmgren's like. So maybe he understood that drew Timmy is just dominating. So just get him the ball the whole game. I think, like I said, I mean, my, my take on Holmgren is it didn't really change at all. I think the, the impact that he makes and you saw it last night, the impact he makes is on the defensive end of the floor more than offense. He's not going to be a guy that, he catches the ball and he has to like create his own shot a lot. He can, he can knock down threes and kind of pitch out scenarios. He can run the paint and like run the lanes and get like dump offs and, and finish around the rim, but he's not going to handle contact. Well, you can see that. I mean, he can get muscled around a little bit. Yep. So finishing inside might not be the easiest thing for him. I just don't think he's going to dominate scoring like, like Amani Bates and Bancaro. no, Banchero. I'm not saying Ben Carroll. Yeah, not doing thank it. Thank you. Thank you. He's not going to put up 20 a game. Like he's just not going to. And Gonzaga's offense, they they're not going to ask him to. They have enough other guys that can score. And it's such a it's such a diplomatic kind of offense where where guys get opportunities. He'll he'll have his games where he scores, but I think he's going to have a lot of games where he where he impacts the game in a huge way, scoring 10 points, you know, or eight points or 14 points. But I mean, you could tell last night. I mean, his defense, his defense is really good. Yeah, and you know, going over to Texas, you know, it's tough to know who their guy is, and like, who 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 do you think would be the most likely to be the guy who, as you could, as you like to say, go get buckets? Would it be Marcus Carr? Does he have the best ability to go get buckets? I I watched that game as a as a Gopher fan, thinking to myself, as good as Marcus Carr is. I am not going to miss watching Marcus Carr dribble around and waste offensive possessions. Uh, he can be that guy who's good enough to like go get buckets, yeah. But boy, he just he pounds the air out of the ball. It's so hard. He doesn't understand how to play like without the ball. So like when he passes, he just kind of stands. He's played a certain way at Minnesota for a number of years, so that's probably just kind of ingrained in his in his basketball kind of DNA. Uh, it'll be interesting. I, I'm really intrigued to see what what Texas looks like come like January and February when some of these guys have played together, you could tell the chemistry is not really there for them. I think Timmy Allen might be the guy. I mean, last night he was great. He was their best player. Um, I also think uh, from the perimeter, probably, I don't know if they have a guy. I mean, Ramey Jones Carr, they can all kind of on a certain night, go get a, go get a bucket. They all are capable of it. It's just, they have too many guys. I think that, and we talked about, you know, their depth is crazy and it, it, it's kind of fun and it can be a good thing. It might also be kind of a bad thing in that you don't, which guys are getting into a rhythm, you know? Yep. And, you know, obviously their upperclassmen are Courtney Ramey and Andrew Jones, who are sort of the incumbents. Um, Marcus Carr, like you said, he he likes to dribble the ball, the arrow of the ball. Um, they're out, they're without Dylan DeSue so far, but it's like we talked about last week or the week before where, they have all these talented transfers coming in who put up, you know, 15 points per game, 16 points per game, 18 points per game elsewhere. 
but none of them really won at those stops. No, they didn't. And that, and that's the thing is like, yeah, a lot of them, a lot of them aren't necessarily, they're all kind of the same guy. They're all yeah. scorers, you know, like, do they have a, a lockdown? I mean, you saw last night, nobody could handle Timmy in the post. Do they have a guy who's going to get gritty and play defense? Like Brock Cunningham is one of the few guys coming back for Texas and, you know, a random, like the, the casual basketball fan has no probably idea who Brock Cunningham is, but like he might actually be kind of a useful piece just because they need like, they got too many cooks in the kitchen, right? They have too many guys who want to dribble and shoot and score. They need guys who are okay. Just like playing some defense occasionally, you know, you need, you need role players. Right. And, and, and that, that actually might be kind of the thing where they don't have enough role players right now. All right, should we get into the game that just concluded, Biggs? Sure. All right. So, you know, we're watching this Florida State-Florida game, and I texted you, and, you know, it's sort of been a running joke with us where we always compare these teams to Florida State. Florida State is very Florida State-y this year, Biggs. They are. I, I, You know who I think actually might even be more Florida State-y is Florida. Really? Maybe. Well, they only played eight guys, so <laughs> maybe not. Maybe they're Florida State-y in this sense that, like, boy, they look good coming off the bus. They look good in the warm-up line. Like, yep. what? I mean, man, these teams, I mean, I tell you what, what, whoever the strength and conditioning coach is at Florida, that that dude's a force. Because, like, Florida always just has – Florida State and Florida, like, if you just close your eyes, you can, like, picture exactly what There's that one guy. Was. I can't. I can't think of his name right now. He played there three, four years ago, and he had the biggest traps I've ever seen. You know who I'm talking about? Patrick Young, maybe? Big man? No, he was, no, he was, a, he was a guard. I can picture him in my mind. Yeah. I, they, I mean, but like so many of them have that. I swear. It's like, it's like the Florida, the Florida and Florida state players are just like, they're built in a lab. They're like six, six. They're just ripped out of their minds. Like they're freakishly athletic and like, you know, roll the dice and see if one of them can shoot. Usually they can't, but like, boy, big, strong, athletic kids. Both teams have a ton of them. Um, and Florida, I mean, I was impressed. Florida, Florida was Florida looked good. Yeah, and you know it was close game through the first half for sure, and then you know halfway through the second half, I think it was right before we hit record, they said that Florida had gone on basically a fourteen zero run, and at that point, it was a twelve point game, and ends up being a sixteen point game, and you know Florida also like is very very Florida statey in that they have you know four guys between. 12 points and 15 points in this game. Yeah, that's the thing. They've got they've got great depth and well, maybe not great depth, but like good depth, right? And and they've got a bunch of different guys who who can who can like kind of I think what the thing the difference in maybe the transfers for Florida versus Texas and I would say if you're looking at the rankings, right? Texas got higher rated transfers. And I would say Texas is probably going to be a better team, but like the ultimately the pieces though at Florida kind of fit nicely because uh, Appleby, who was a previous transfer, who's, who's been there now a couple years, Daruji, he's been in the system a couple years, uh, but you're talking about McKissick and Flanders Fleming. Both those guys were like all defensive or defensive player of the years in their conference. Both those guys are, are able to impact the game without scoring a ton. And Daruji is another one who is able to impact the game a ton without scoring. He ever, he had 15 today. But he's he's a guy who he'll, he'll sit down and guard you. Uh, Appleby, another guy, he'll 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 sit down and he'll guard you. He'll he'll get up in your face. Castleton, another transfer. It, 
he protects the paint as well as any big in the SEC. He had 15 and 16 today, along with six blocks. So they're not just scorers. They're not just give me the ball, let me go get a bucket. You know, uh, they can they can sit down and play defense. I mean, they held Florida State to 55 points. That's a Virginia number. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for Florida State, it's very clear, you know, Malik Osborne is going to be like their guy this year. He's off to a great start this year, averaging, I think it, he ended up with 18 points today. And I think I looked before the game concluded and he was averaging 18 points so far. So, you know, he's definitely going to be their guy. And he's a big dude inside. And it's not very often you see a senior being the guy for a team, especially a team in like a power conference. Yeah, you don't. You don't often. I mean, we were just talking about this with Kansas, where it's just like you you expect you almost just expect these teams to have guys that are just kind of two and through. It's like you treat it like it's a junior college where guys after after being kind of the top dog, they're gone. And if you're in college for three years and you haven't been the guy yet, uh, we're going to go find us a transfer who can be the guy because obviously you can't be the guy because you've been here too long and haven't been the guy yet. So I, Florida State, I don't know if Florida State, though, like we, we say Osborne's going to be the guy. Do you actually think he'll be the guy or will he be the guy on Tuesday night before the Saturday game where Caleb Mills is the guy and then Anthony Light will be the guy? Do you think it'll be Osborne like consistently as just the guy or they have like 14 guys? On their their roster, yes. And they every single one will play the exact same number of minutes. Yes, you're right. (laughs) And score 12 points. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, it could be a small sample size thing, but I mean, it looks like they're trying to feed on the ball inside quite a bit. Yeah. All right, let's uh let's get into some upcoming games here, Biggs. And there's not really, it's not really a lot. It's sort of you know I, I had a I had a high school basketball coach, Biggs, who said don't let and I, he said this on like the second day of practice, don't let basketball become a stack of pancakes. Do you know what that means? I don't, but I'm intrigued by it because I, I'm more of a French toast guy, but pancakes are pretty good still. Okay, and, and it works for French toast, but like, does French toast really come in stacks? Not really. You, you kind of you you assemble them kind of like a like it like you know, they're next to each other. They're not yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we'll stick to pancakes. So say okay. say you're at like an IHOP or something, and you get a stack of pancakes, and you're all excited at first, right? And you start yeah. digging in, and you're all excited. But then, like after like the halfway point, it's almost like it's a burden on you. Like, oh, I got all these pancakes I have to eat now. So you don't you don't enjoy them as much after. Yeah, and so he would say that in regards to basketball practice, also like that first day of practice, you go there, you're all excited, you know. But then you realize you have to do all this conditioning and all running around and actually sweating and being tired all the time. It's like, oh, this isn't as much fun as I thought it would be, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's how I feel this is right now because last week we have all these good games. We get two top five matchups on back-to-back nights, Friday, Saturday. And then I look at the upcoming games. There just isn't as much. Well, the inventory, I, I think this is where you've got to get, you've got to find the the beauty in like the – in not not on the label you can't you can't just follow kind of the matchups all the time um there are some there are some intriguing games if you if you look a little deeper i think no it's not uh it's not going to be you're right the matchups that we had in the first week i mean kansas michigan's obviously that champions classic those matchups as much as we like to rag on uh, espn's obsession with duke uh we watched right because it's duke and kentucky and that's a matchup you're gonna pay attention to villanova ucla as a, as a top five matchup gonzaga texas to be honest that game wasn't particularly entertaining though. I mean, it was, it was kind of over 10 minutes into the game. You felt like Gonzaga is just going to blow the hell out of these guys. Um, There are some intriguing matchups though. I would say on that Monday, maybe the best game is, is a mid-major matchup uh, between Belmont and Furman. That's two really good teams. 
uh, in who, their who respective Fer- conferences. Furman either played someone. Who did Furman play? Furman just beat someone. They yeah. beat uh, who did they beat? Did they beat Louisville? Yeah, they beat Louisville yeah, in the first game of the year. They're called the Paladins. Is that a pretty? Are we we in on that name? I like that. I, I, isn't the Paladin like a bird? Is it a or is it like a duck or something? I don't know. It sounds cool though. Yeah. Yeah, they beat Louisville. A paladin is a is a fictional a fictional knight of legend. Oh, the foremost so members they're, they're of le- their legends in the eighth century. So they're legends then. Yeah, the Knights of the Round Table. Okay, so we'll, we'll call them the Furman Legends. That's kind of badass. Yeah, yeah, I'm in on that. But I think okay, we we we've talked about the SoCon as kind of this conference that that pumps out quality coaches. Your guy Wes Miller at Cincinnati, off to a nice start. Uh, Mike Young at Virginia Tech was the Wofford coach. Steve Forbes, the current Wake Forest coach, was at East Tennessee State. Uh, the next coach, I think, coming out of that league that's going to get a the parlay that into a high major job is the Furman coach, Bob Ritchie. He's a younger guy, but I, I bet I bet it, it, within the next two years, uh, that's a name that you will be familiar with. Um, and then Belmont is, again, we're, we'll see after they lost to, uh, who did they lose to? Ohio in their first game of the yep. year? Um, they, they picked up another win against somebody. I don't remember who, but that could be an interesting matchup. Maybe not one that's necessarily appointment viewing, but hey, maybe. Um, yeah. And then Wisconsin plays Providence on Monday, so that one could be good. The Actually, two- I, I have a mid-major one for you, Biggs, here. All right, give it to me. I, I got uh, your boy, Jonathan Williams of Buffalo, Ooh. playing our Mean Green of North Texas. Ooh, you have my attention. Anytime you yeah. get Jonathan versus the Mean Green, like I'm, I'm in. Yes. And another one I see is uh, we talk about the yin to the yang matchups. Well, this is the opposite of that. This is the yin to the yin with Virginia against Houston. Yeah, who can oh, who can out yin the other one? Yes. So, uh, you know, expect like a forty four to forty one game there. I don't know who will win, but that's probably good. good, good yeah, those score those poor backboards. They're yeah. gonna take they're gonna take a beating. <laughs> later later that night, I think the second matchup there is BYU and Oregon. That one could be a that could be a good Pac twelve matchup. Yeah. It's crazy how Pac 12s just having all these early season matchups. We talked about yeah. uh San Diego State BYU just a bit ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one, sort of an under the radar one here, is you know, Illinois with I believe they're still I think this is the last game without coffee. And they traveled to play Marquette. Okay. That could be okay. I mean, who knows what Marquette looks like this year because they have so many new guys with with Shaka. But yep. uh, you know, hey, it's a, it's a couple of big brands that that we're used to kind of seeing as as quality teams. So those are some good early week potential matchups that you that you want to check out if you don't want to watch Monday Night Football or or Maction. Yep, I got one more here, and I don't know if this will. We probably won't do another one episode before this game, but I'll just throw it out there anyway st john's at indiana on wednesday night okay yeah i'm intrigued by that i think both those teams have a chance to be really good that one could be a lot of fun yeah julian champagne and posh alexander against you know trace jackson davis uh race thompson all those guys from indiana so that could be a good matchup there i think so too yeah i I think (laughs) you're right the matchups are not it's not necessarily as sexy as duke and kentucky or gonzaga and texas you know in these high-end you know lottery picks top top prospects and stuff like that. But I do think these matchups are are, are quality teams and, and they're random. Like you're not gonna see St. John's play Indiana very often. Right? That's Ooh, that's what I kind of I got think. one, Biggs. I got one right Ooh, here. Okay. Okay, now I'm just talking myself into all these matchups. This is a Tuesday night game. And just a nice little mid major one here. But one of the teams is has very high expectations. 
and that is St. Louis against Memphis. Yeah, I, I was I was intrigued by that one, but I don't think St. Louis has. They're probably they're not as good as Memphis, and probably not as good as they have been in past years. They're but... not, but I think they've also got even some of their better guys. I think are hurt. Oh, so I I don't rem- I'd have to do a little more digging on St. Louis because yeah, I, I saw that one and thought, ooh, my ears kind of perked up, but I'm not sure if St. Louis has even their top would have like their would have been top guys. There might they might have some injuries, ooh, but how they're off to a three zero start. Did, did you say this one? We have Seton Hall at Michigan. Did you say yes? That one? That's that's a that's going to be a good one. Is That'll that be a good eight? one, I think. That's uh, yeah, Tuesday night at eight. Yeah, see the hall. I think the hall is going to be solid. They took care of Yale today on Sunday. I think they've got a chance to be a pretty darn good team, um, and obviously we think very highly of Michigan. So, yep. See that that Tuesday slate, you you start you start kind of putting it together. It's like, ooh, actually, yeah. I might need know, multiple monitors. Yeah, there's some there's some games to watch. Might be a mo- mo- a multiple monitor uh, evening. Evening, yeah. Not a multiple monitor Monday. Boy, that'd be kind of fun though. Really I like that alliteration. <laughs> All right, any sort of just let's any big picture type stuff you could think of from the first week of basketball? You're putting me on the spot. I I, I have two bigs. Not really. Uh, I think Gonzaga looked better than I was expecting them to, and. I mean, they're ranked number one in the in the rankings, which I mean, so they should look good. But I think they looked, I guess, even better than I was expecting. You know, we we talk about all these teams and and all the transfers and the lack of continuity, and I guess we don't really think about Gonzaga in that way. But I mean, how many guys did they, they got? A bunch of new guys. They got three new freshmen. They got at least one transfer. They have a bunch of guys who haven't really played any sort of role that they're used to. Besides, the only guys really that play. Similar roles are, are Andrew Nemhard and Drew Timmy. They got a bunch yeah. of new guys. And so Razier Bolton, I was actually impressed with last night. He played well for them. I was too. I was and too. He, he's a guy who I think I'd brought him up when we were talking conference previews, and you you like to throw around the stat of uh, or the saying of he's an empty stat guy or an empty calories guy or something. Yeah. And which he probably was at Iowa State, but maybe all he needs is to not be that like Iowa State obviously sucks, so he felt like he had to be that. He's at Gonzaga now, so maybe if he's a little self-aware of his actual skill set and that he's probably their fourth or fifth best option, he'll understand, I think he has so far, that he doesn't have to score 20 points. Yeah, and maybe I mean, maybe he was a – you know, you throw around empty calories, and I mean, was – I mean, it's hard to – sometimes I think to myself – I even think to myself, well, is it empty calories if he scores – if he scores 16 a game – and he scores 14 of that 16, basically keeping his team in the game. And then he only scores two late in the game, and that's when they end up losing. Are those empty calories, or is that just he doesn't have a good enough team to basically go win the game late? But he he, his, he, he does a good enough job keeping his team close. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, Right. It, is that empty stats then? I, I don't know. But Probably not. He's obviously and, – and to be honest, I mean, I'll take the coach he's got now, Mark Few, over any of the coaches he's had before. I think we kind of forget to do that kind of – factor that in he's playing in a far better system now and Gonzaga's taking transfers like Rasir Bolton and they don't seem to ever have a problem their, their transfers like their hit rate on transfers is insanely high and he might be like their fourth or fifth best player but he's all he's proven that he could go score and he might I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he's their second leading scorer yeah you know I mean think about the talent he's playing with now compared to what he's playing with at Iowa State or Penn State yeah I mean, life is going to be just a massive breath of fresh air for him. 
Yeah, and then also for Gonzaga, I noticed just looking at the box score, Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas were two freshmen who I expected to play, you know, a a sort of a big role. Didn't really do much against Texas. No, and, and they didn't even – and that's the thing is they didn't even need him to. So yeah. you know, watching the game last night, Fran Fraschilla was saying, like, they basically just need to – if these two these two guys are going to be good, they just need to kind of – think he said, like, run their race. You know, they need to run at their own pace and grow at their own rate. Uh, I think Jalen Suggs kind of wrecked the whole freshman curve. I mean, Gonzaga is another program that does not usually – guys don't usually come in as freshmen and, like, just light it up for them. Yep. You know, it's, it, they grow guys, they, they come in and they're, and they're good as they're, they're good as freshmen. And then they kind of blow up the next year. They don't need these guys to kind of be Jalen Suggs, right? They have, they have Andrew Nemhard, who's a, who's like in a four year starting kind of lead guard. Uh, you have Drew Timmy, who's like maybe the best player in the country. And, you know, Rasir Bolton, who was a, who was a three year starter at a high major school and has averaged double figures his entire career. So, these guys might they might they might be highly rated prospects and projected lottery picks, but that that's just that might just not be the case. Like they're they're probably going to give them like they're they're allowed to kind of grow at their own rate. And who knows, this could give them a, a ceiling that you know you didn't really think of before because these guys will get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then another team I just want to touch on, and you know, I sort of texted you about this, but Ohio State, who by all accounts probably expect to be a you know a top five we'll say team in the big 10 has not been that impressive so far you know they eke out a one point win against akron um they win by 10 against niagara but you know sort of have to pull away late in the second half um what, what do you think about that you know ej liddell is is averaging 27 points per game but they don't they're not getting much other guards you know we talked about cedric russell coming in and i'm not sure if he's hurt but it looks like he's played four minutes all season and he's only played in one game. Um, Jamari Wheeler, you know, averaging five points for them. Um, they're just not getting much guard production. Yeah, and this is where I, I almost wonder, like, do we just overrate the hell out of, like, the tra- the transfer portal is super fun, right? And it's just like, oh, my God, all these transfers are flying around like it's free agency. And I just think we see, like, we, we started later in the offseason kind of doing, like, the 70% rule. Sometimes that's probably even aggressive. Like sometimes these yeah. transfers come up from schools and it's just like, there's a reason that you didn't, there's like just a massive difference playing at Ohio state versus playing at Louisiana tech or wherever he was. Uh, yeah. Was it Lafayette? Lafayette. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the scary thing about that is that they haven't played big 10 teams yet. And these guys still are just not there. But yeah. I, I do think like some of the guys at Ohio state are probably just better than Cedric Russell. You know, like he might just not be one of their best guys. You know, they might have other guys that could also go to Louisiana, Lafayette, and score 15 to 18 points a game, you know. Um, Or it's just playing for a different coach. It it takes time, you know. So I wonder if we just kind of – we over we get overexcited about all of these different transfers and thinking like, oh, he's just going to come in and, oh, he he comes in when Dwayne Washington leaves, so he's just going to replace Dwayne Washington. It's like, well, I don't know. Maybe he won't. You know, maybe he's just not that good. And – I think if that's the case, Ohio State, I mean, that definitely, I think EJ Liddell is going to have a monster year, but they're going to need one of these guards to put up some points because they they do need somebody to, to, to grow into that role. And we talked about that after the first night of the year. They need one of those guys, whether it's Malachi Branham or Jamari Wheeler or Justin Arns. Somebody's got to, I think all of those guys have to take kind of collective steps up. 
they're not going to have a Dwayne Washington this year. They're just they're not going to have one of those super silky smooth guards who can go create a shot at the end of the shot clock. So how do they how do they compensate for the lack of that player? Uh, that'll be that'll be I guess what we find out over the next couple months. Yeah, and like you said, you know, Cedric Russell was expected to almost be Dwayne Washington, but you know, this isn't Louisiana Lafayette. They're playing against team teams in conference play like, you know, Indiana or Illinois or Michigan. Now, if they play like they have their first two games, they're not going to win those games in Big Ten play. Yeah, it's gonna be rough. Yeah. All right, Biggs, you got anything else? I got nothing else. I'm just I'm just super glad basketball's back. You know, yeah. like I know we had a we had a nice college football slate, but you know the early season you, you kind of mentioned it. The matchups there were some really fun early early first week matchups. And, and I, I don't think the matchups this upcoming week are quite as exciting, but I do think there are some really fun matchups. I, I love the early non-conference kind of portion of the year because you do get some some weird some weird matchups that'll be a lot of fun. And I'm just glad it's back, man. I just love it. So that, that finishes off this episode. You know, our midweek podcast this week, we can actually start getting into some of the early season, um, not tournaments bigs, but multi-team events, you know, the MTEs. Uh, and I know, you know, for example, this Saturday, there's one with uh, North Carolina, Purdue, Nova, and Tennessee at it. So we'll talk about that uh, coming up. I think it's Saturday, Sunday. So, you know, I'm just a guy who I, I just love tournaments, bigs. I love brackets. I love, you know, you know, picturing future matchups, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm excited for all that. And yeah, we'll get out of here. Let's do it. Bye. Bye.